Turn your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Philippians. It's one of those little books and right in the middle of the New Testament there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right in that section. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians is the warmest of Paul's letters that we have in the New Testament. He thinks so highly of them. He commends them. He thanks them. Now, there were problems there, of course, in that church. But by and large, Paul was very pleased and encouraged with what he heard happening in the church at Philippi. I'd like to read how he begins this letter by reading the first 11 verses. Our text this morning will be verse number 6. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Did you have a hard time getting up this morning? Probably many of you, however, thought, well, not as bad as other mornings because it's Sunday and I was able to sleep in a little better. What about last Thursday morning? What about tomorrow morning? In a sense, it's a wonder we get up at all. That we just don't take the blankets and just say, not today. And put them back over us. For once we begin to think seriously about our lives, how are we able to function on a day-by-day basis with any kind of consistency? First of all, we must act as if we are indestructible. And I know that whatever decisions I make this day will be right and exact and will be a big help to me. I can do it. That's how we act when we have been in our schooling years. Planning ahead, what college am I going to go to? Employment, which job shall I take, this one or that one? Our marriage partner, will I like him, will she like me, will it work out? Our children, the decisions we must make on their behalf. Contracts we enter into, the mortgages on our house or our property. Many of these are made by decisions that are very long-lasting. On any given day, you or I can make a decision that will have a profound effect or result because of the decision we make. 
Now, that's one thing to consider. Secondly, when you think about getting up in the morning, you have to realize how fragile we are doing all this. We can be struck down with disease, with accident, with some kind of disaster, some financial loss, personal attacks, unfulfilled plans and dreams, unexpected circumstances, with our limited knowledge and abilities, what might be lurking around the corner even when you get up tomorrow morning? Now, if you're a believer here, if you're a Christian, we have one more thing to worry about or to be concerned about. In addition to those other things I mentioned, which all people have in common. What's that? Your challenges are compounded by the high standards of God. In Matthew 5, for example, he said two different things. One, be holy as I am holy. Are you ready to get out of bed and face that day to do that? Jesus said to his disciples, you are, I'm the light of the world, but you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify God in heaven. You've been able to do that, do a good job of that, treating how you treat people at the job, even in your own home. Every day we must deal with these realities. And so we need Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. A verse considered by many Bible students as the key to the whole letter of the Philippians that Paul wrote. It's one of those grand pronouncements so characteristic of Paul's writing in which all of a sudden he'll launch into something very wonderful before he continues on what he was saying. Dr. Martin Lord-Jones said that this verse is one of those magnificent, fundamental, profound statements which lead us to the very depths of Christian doctrine and Christian theology. And for the next few moments, we have the privilege of having God speak to us through this verse to be an encouragement to us day by day by day. Notice how Paul begins with great confidence. The English Standard Version, and I am sure of this. I do like the King James Version. Being confident of this very thing. It's a very strong word of confidence in what is to be said by Paul. It's a favorite word used by Paul in this letter, down in verse 14. Most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord, verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you. Yeah, the first word, convinced of this. Same word, Greek word in that verse too. In the verses 3 through 5, as I read for you a moment ago, you notice Paul was very thankful for the people in Philippi. He shared that especially because of their mutual partnership in the gospel. Verse 5, you see that? Because of your partnership in the gospel. That's the Greek word koinonia. Sharing. You're sharing in the gospel with me. I'm not out here by myself doing my own thing. You're part with me in the Philippian church for your prayers and your gifts. At that point, at verse 6, he looks beyond what the Philippians have been doing, and he wants to focus on what God has been doing, was doing, and would do for them. So first of all, he has something to say about the commencement of his work. Because we're talking this morning about God's work in our lives. The commencement of the work, the beginning of the work. He who began a good work in you. When God's name is not mentioned, 
but it's indicated, implied there, he, who. It means that the emphasis is not on who God is, but what God has done, the works of God. He who has done this great work began a good work in you. The emphasis then is upon what God has done. Did Paul start the church in Philippi? Well, yes, in the human way, but God began that work. When we read in Acts 16 that he opened up Lydia's heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying, and by paying attention to what Paul was saying, her heart was stirred and the Spirit worked in her heart, and she became the foundation, the first convert of the Philippian church. So primarily, his good work begins with God's work in the heart, taking a dead, sinful heart of darkness and then putting in him that seed of regeneration of the new birth, giving a new insight into spiritual matters that the person otherwise would not have had. It certainly includes his continued good work of what we call sanctification. Go over to chapter 2 and verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Philippians, don't forget that while there are certain things you are doing, don't forget that it is God who's working in you. Because he began that good work in you. He began the good work of the church in Philippi, which became a springboard for other established congregations. So the reason the gospel spread from Philippi over to Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth and Ephesus, and that in that first century there were many Christian churches in that part of the world, the reason was that God began the work in Philippi. Now think of other religions and philosophies which men have begun that have resulted in terrible things, terrible pagan practices. It's like the mad scientist who creates a monster. He thinks it's going to be good to have this monster, but then it turns out it's not so good. And it comes back and either destroys him or something else. It makes life very unbearable for the scientist. That's what's happened to so many of these new religions and cults, and they spring up all the time. The results are not very good. But God's work is beautiful and powerful in its origin, in its quality, in its purpose. And in this connection, I share with you from Acts chapter 5, the words of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the uh, teachers of the Apostle Paul when he was Saul of Tarsus. And an incident came up when the apostles were being attacked. And although this man was not a believer and probably didn't fully realize what he's saying, he said something very interesting here as they were seeking to, uh, to punish him. He says in Acts 5.38, So in the present case I tell you, keep away from these men, talking about the Christian apostles. Let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You might even be found opposing God. So even Gamaliel recognized their God is the one really responsible for what's happening here. And if you try to oppose God, you're going to run into trouble. So what God began in the lives of those flipping Christians has had long-term results. In fact, that's the reason we're here today in this place. Because of what God began in Philippi. Secondly, 
We want to look at the continuance of his work. He began it, the commencement of it, he began it, but the continuance of his work. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Now, in the theological realm of the way of salvation, there are some who would agree with what we've just said. God began the work. But now it's up to us to continue it. God gives the faith, amen to that. But now it's up to us to add to that faith what we do, our good deeds, our good works, our money we give to the church, the prayers we say, the pilgrimage we make, all that we add onto that. And then God looks at that combination and then he will pronounce us justified in his sight, not guilty. That's, that's what the Judaizers were doing in the churches of Galatia, teaching that kind of thing. But Paul is saying, the one who began it is also going to continue what he began, and he began putting faith in your heart, and that was the only thing that brought you into the kingdom was that gift of faith and the repentance that went along with it. You don't add anything to it. You can't add anything to it. Who do you think you are adding what God's work is? He will bring it to completion. That's just one Greek word, meaning to carry something through to the end without leaving it unfinished or abandoned. Paul was confident that God would not leave his work alone. He would not leave the Philippians to do the best they could do. Lydia, I've done the best for you. I opened your heart up so you could understand what Paul was saying. I helped you understand who Jesus was, the Son of God, my eternal Son. I've helped you to come to a faith in His work. And now I wish you well. I have other things to do. I have other churches to work in. Now you're on your own. Well, of course not. Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to Completion. Now think of all the unfinished good works of men who have become wearied and frustrated and exhaustion. It might be a painting that's left unfinished or a statue that's left unfinished. A song that never got all the way through. A book that was begun and never completed a building that went up to the fifth floor, but they were supposed to have ten floors, and they never got to the rest because they ran out of money. And it just became a lost thing. A fence that sits there, and you can tell it's not finished. Experiments and ideas that don't come to fulfillment. You may ask you something. How many of you have some uncompleted projects around your house? If I were to come over to your home, would I find some things that aren't done? A fence, a walkway, some stonework? Probably so. Go into the house, I look and say, hmm, is, this the, is this the original paint? Yeah, but we need, to get it, we need to get it covered over. We just haven't got around to it yet. Is that how God deals with his people? I think not. God's not like men. When God created the earth and heavens, 
As revealed to us in Genesis chapter 1, he looked and what did he see? It was very good. Just the way he wanted it. The God of creation is also the God of the new creation. And he wants to bring his people along toward its final fulfillment. Think of our lives as pieces of undeveloped, unproductive ground. When you first become a Christian, well, I'll give you an illustration. Nancy's heard me say this before, so I'll do it again. Our, our daughter and son-in-law, Medford, they determined to buy some property and build a house. And we were not living in Medford at the time, but we made a visit, and it was at dusk one day, and it was sort of drizzly, it was getting very dark, and they said, we want to take you and show you our property. And so they drove around, it's right on a kind of a corner there, and they said, there it is. We looked out the window, and here's this dismal-looking location, no other houses around, muddy, and just undeveloped rocks and all the rest. Well, if you were to go there today, you would find a very nice house, very nice grounds, the grass, bushes, and so on. Because they took the time to continue what they bought and make sure that it progressed along and continued along. There's still work to be done, always work to be done. But it's been brought at least to some stage of completion. That's what the Lord does in our minds, in our consciousness, in our souls, in our wills. But he does it not just during the pleasant times of watering and Tasting, but the unpleasant times of weeding and pruning. To change the figure of speech, consider a statue. It has to be a lot of hammering and chiseling and shaping of that to get what the sculptor wants as he starts with that piece of rock or marble. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. After mentioning God's grace in the hearts and lives of his, the people there in Ephesus, Paul says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are works we should be doing, we should be working, but behind it all is the work of God in our lives. Now, there's a certain tension there because we know what we should be, yet we're not there. We're, we're aiming for it. We're not quite there. But how do we deal with that, that tension? Go up to the first verse of the chapter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, in Jesus by faith, they, are in, they stand perfectly righteous before the Father. If you're a believer here this morning and your trust is completely in Jesus Christ, before God the Father, you and I stand in complete righteousness and holiness before Him. Be ye holy as I am holy. In Christ we can achieve that. But Paul goes on, who are at Philippi. Oh yeah, that's right. We we aren't in heaven yet, are we? Positionally we are, but in practice we're at Philippi. We're in Corvallis, or the Corvallis area. We're still in our lives in which we wrestle with the sin in our hearts and the difficulty of serving the Lord. But at times like this, we have to remember that God is still working in our lives. 
What a tremendous encouragement this should be as we function from day to day. We're not alone. What we do for the Lord is not in vain, no matter how small or insignificant you might think it is. Because it's part of what God is doing in your life. What is the church to many people? A social club. A place to get moral uplift. To better the community. For Paul, it's a place where God is working in the hearts of his people. And what God starts, he is going to finish. So we've seen the consummation of God's work, the continuance of God's work, and now finally, the consummation of his work. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Wasn't that ever going to be? At the day of Jesus Christ. What's that day? Well, it's Christ's day. It's his day. But especially the day of his glorious and triumphant return. His second advent. It's an outgrowth of the concept of the day of the Lord, which we see appearing over and over again in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's also called the day of Christ, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, the day, that day. You might remember Hebrews 10, verse 25, it says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Or to put it another way, don't forsake worshiping with God's people together, especially as you see the day approaching. The time when Christ is going to come back as the judge. The good work of our text reaches its consummation then, its final maturity at the second coming of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, Paul writes, Our Lord Jesus Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful. Now all this does relate to what we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I like what Charles Spurgeon uh, Uh, wrote many, many years ago, the famous Baptist preacher in London. We preach no rickety gospel. We shall not bear your weight. It is no chariot whose axles will break or whose wheels will be taken off. This is no foundation of sand that may sink in the day of the flood. Here is the everlasting God pledging himself by covenant and oath, and he will write his law in your heart that you shall not depart from him. He will keep you. He who brought us to the cross will bring us to the crown. He will bring us to the crown. He will bring you as a believer to the crown, to the final great day when we shall be with him in glory. Let me hold up for you a red hymnal, but I want you to imagine it's a brick, a normal red brick. Use your imagination now. This is a beautiful, perfect brick. Its texture is fine. The lines have been cut properly. has the right color. It's just a real nice brick. So I take it and I would put it on the piano here, and there it is all, standing all by itself. That's a nice brick, but it needs something else. 
needs to be put with some other bricks into some kind of a, a row and, and some tiers of, of bricks and maybe like a, a wall or a building. And then somebody might point out that particular brick and say, that, that's the brick that I offered for this project. There it is right there. doesn't look beautiful. I would say, yes, a really nice brick, especially when I back up and see how it blends in to the whole wall, to the whole building. We are each individuals, each individual responsible for reaching out by faith to Christ. If you've done that, we are saved individuals. We are saved people. But we just don't exist by ourselves. We need to be in contact with the fellowship of believers, the koinonia, the partnership of the gospel that Paul speaks of there in verse number 5. And to get there, the Lord has to get that brick right. God has to mold and burn and chop and heat and color us. A lot of work going on in our hearts and lives. Sometimes it seems to be pretty good. Sometimes we're humbled and it's not going so good. So here is a great thought. God is not preparing us just for life on earth, how to live a good life. He's preparing us for eternal life in heaven. And that's the finished product of his work. This is why the Christian life is worth so much in living. It alone promises an adequate goal for our faith and our effort. We're not just going kind of indefinitely off into the future. God is going to finish his work grounded on Jesus Christ. So the believer advances day after day. You get up in the morning. Here's another day to be followed by other days in which God is continuing to work in your life and in my life. We're like a white swan that glides through a filthy pond. We're surrounded with filth, aren't we? We're surrounded with all kind of evil and wickedness. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. We're like a hiker on a slippery, precarious trail. But as long as we follow the guidelines of the Word of God, we shall stay on that trail. And God will enable us to do that. The Philippians need a reassurance like this. At the end of this chapter, down to verse 28, Paul says, Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Is that your philosophy of life? Knowing that God is working in you, God has delivered you from your sin, brought you into the partnership, the fellowship of the church of Jesus Christ. There was a, a little chorus I used to sing when I was a teenager. Some of you may remember it. The words, some of the words go like this. Jesus is a wonderful Savior. He will carry you through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I walk through the shadow of death. You will be with me. Do you know the Lord, Jesus? In your heart, right now, you can reach out to him after the service. You can talk with me. 
Go home tonight, quietness of your own home. Reflect upon what you've heard this morning, the importance of having Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. What, what more important thing can there be? I close with the words of another song that I ran across some years ago called, He's Still Working on Me. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and stars, the sun and earth and Jupiter and Mars. How patient and loving he must be. He's still working on me. There really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. But someday, I'll be perfect just according to his plan, fashioned by the master's hand. That day will be when God finishes his work with us. Philippians 1.6 is like a giant magnet that keeps pulling us toward that great day and should encourage us all the days we have remaining on this earth. Even when we have to get up in the morning. Join me in prayer. Our Father, we thank you then for revealing to us You have not left us orphans, but by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, you continue to work in our hearts. Surely we pray for any in this room who have not yet been drawn to you, that you would be pleased to work in their lives, to call them to yourself. For your people who are here, may they be encouraged as a result of our partnership in the gospel, even in this worship service, to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.